Welcome to Seek Reality with Roberta Grimes. Joyous conversations about what the afterlife evidence and modern science combine to tell us is true about our one reality. You have nothing to fear. You are eternal and you are perfectly loved. Knowing the truth changes everything. Now, here's Roberta. Welcome to Seek Reality. I'm Roberta Grimes and I'm so happy you're with us today. One of my very favorite longtime Seek Reality guests is Mark Gover, who's with us today for the eighth time. When we first met him, Mark was a recent Princeton graduate, a tennis champion, just as buttoned down as you can imagine. But he had only then wandered off the mainstream reservation and discovered the primacy of consciousness. And he had dared to write about it. He had written a truly wonderful, amazing book called An End to Upside Down Thinking, dispelling the myth that the brain produces consciousness and the implications for everyday life. Mark actually seemed to be a bit dazed to me at the time, poor guy. But his book was fabulous and he had found his future. Oh, my God, the rest is history. Mark followed that book with five more terrific books, each more extreme and even better than the one before it. The next four were an end to upside-down living, reorienting our consciousness to live better and save the human species. Then came an end to upside-down liberty, turning traditional politic, political thinking, that was it, to its head to break free from enslavement and end upside down contact was the one that followed it. UFOs, aliens and spirits and why their ongoing interaction with human civilization matters. And end to the upside down reset. The, you can tell he's got no fear. The leftist vision for society under the Great Reset and how it can fool caring people into supporting harmful causes. And now comes an end to upside-down medicine. Oh, this is scary. And why consciousness is needed for a new paradigm of health. This latest book will be our topic today. This is going to take, as you can hear, I don't have my voice. I've actually been sick for a week. (laughs) This latest book is going to take two interviews. Mark writes beautifully, and he writes very accessibly. And best of all, every book that Mark Glober writes is a flat-out amazing expose of the truth that almost no one else dares to seek and to find. Mark, welcome. I I can't believe you can do this over and over again and do it so beautifully, but I'm so glad to have you back again with us. Well, thank you, Roberta. It's always nice to be with you, and I appreciate the lovely introduction. All right, I should begin by saying I've been down this week with my first cold, literally my first cold in more than 20 years, so I haven't finished this book. I always finish, I read honestly every book of everyone I interview who writes a new book. I only managed to read a third of it before this cold hit me, and therefore we're going to do the second interview on two-thirds of the book. But the one-third I read knocked me for a loop. I'm married to a doctor. I believed in until COVID hit, and I realized that the COVID vaccine was killing more people than COVID did. Uh, that that shocked me, but I didn't realize that medicine has been killing more people than 
then the diseases did a lot longer than COVID has. And uh, this book, this book shocked me as much as any of your books have shocked me. And I have only read a third of it. My, my, my God, I, what I did manage to read rocked me to my core. And I've only read a third of this book. The Spanish flu. It was, it was the, the vaccine that was killing all those people. <laughs> let, let, I, I I'm going to have to ask you to do most of the talking because I'm already losing my voice. But talk, Mark, this is terrible. Well, generally, what what am I trying to do in this book? I'm interested in understanding why people get sick or why people have symptoms of what we call disease. It's something every human deals with. We don't feel well. And I don't think that modern medicine understands this phenomenon very well. And therefore, from a spiritual perspective, which I'm sure we'll talk about on a future interview, uh, that has big implications. Because if we're not fully well, can we enact our purpose? Can we fulfill what we're here to do our, in the best way possible? And, and secondarily, does illness point us towards something on a soul level where, that we should be learning about? So those are kind oh of the meta. Yes, but but pe- they killed uh, for thousands, for hundreds Modern medicine is killing people. I never knew that until I read your book. <laughs> yes. And, and it comes from, there are pro- many possible reasons in terms of the incentives, but it, we, I, I don't think modern medicine understands illness properly. And I'm not saying I do either. What I try to do in this book is present some ideas. And because the illness oh, is not God. understood properly, then the remedies are improper. And that can lead to more harm than good. I'll say, but when you, I mean, even going back to, to the, you know, the Spanish flu back to, we don't, we tend to think of, of the medical community as heroes. Yeah. They've not been heroes. That's such a shocker. And I don't think it's always intentional. Um, the medical system. I think it's always intentional. No, no, I don't think it's always intentional. I think many people are they're, they're well-meaning, but the 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 what doctors learn isn't necessarily complete. So, for example, going back to this question of why do people get sick? What's the cause of symptoms? Um, that gets into some very deep questions about, for example, what are microbes? What's a what? What are bacteria? What are these things called viruses. And much of what is learned in medical school, I think, is a superficial version of of those things. And there are certain assumptions that are taken for granted. And then the doctors who are very intelligent people will work from those assumptions and not they haven't looked at the deeper issues. So you mentioned uh, Spanish flu. In the book, I go through many examples of illnesses that are believed to come from infectious diseases, meaning microbes that cause the illness. But in many of those cases, there are other possibilities as to why people were getting sick beyond just those microscopic organisms. And I think modern medicine likes to focus on the microbes. It's a very materialistic, reductionistic perspective where let's just find this enemy and we're going to kill the enemy. And once we do that, you're going to be well. Whereas health seems to be much more multifactorial in terms of toxicity in the environment, medications that can be harmful, electricity and electromagnetic radiation 
nutrition. There's so many factors involved here, and that doesn't even get into consciousness, which I know you and your audience know a lot about, and I talk about that in the second half of the book. So yeah. this is it's a paradigm shift in terms of looking at things holistically rather than having a reductionistic perspective. Yeah, but wow. Over and over again, just in the third that I read, um, it was turning out that the doctors were all wrong about what was going on. I, I was floored by it and, and, and horrified by it to, to see, um, that people were, were over and over again, um, the, the Spanish flu, you know, we, we're, we see these, these tents, you know, full of young people dying. And it turned out that there was, that the people who had been vaccinated were the ones that were dying and you know, people who had not been vaccinated didn't die. <sighs> and, and even more than that, I mean, this is 50 million deaths worldwide, oh, Spanish flu. And there were studies done around that time. So this is the early 1900s. Um, yeah. Where they tried to demonstrate contagion, meaning if there is an infectious microbe that goes from person to person and causes this illness, that should be demonstrated in a study where you put some sick people in the same place as the healthy people and see if you can make them sick, because that's what seems to happen in nature, allegedly. And so these studies, um, they had people cough in each other's faces. And I go through the details from the Journal of the American Medicine of American Medicine in terms of how they tried to demonstrate contagion and people were not getting sick. And this is a theme that has really shocked me. And as I've talked to various doctors in the field, there is a presumption that contagion has been established scientifically. And like I said, this should be a very easy thing to do. Take yeah. some sick people, put them around healthy people or animals and see if they get sick. Or even another one could be if there is an alleged viral infection that's airborne, put some of that in the air and let's see if organisms get sick with the same symptoms. What seems to be happening, and a lot of these studies are very old, some are, are newer, is that the way they demonstrate contagion, allegedly, is to inject animals with a soup of, of cellular material. And sometimes it's injecting them in the brain or injecting them in the trachea, things that would cause symptoms on their own to inject an animal in those places. And, the, and then the, the scientists will say, look, we just demonstrated that we injected this and now they're sick. Therefore, this is contagious. And a lot those assumptions and the way the studies are run in terms of lacks of controls and lack of isolation of the virus first, these are things that I don't hear talked about in the medical community often enough. Oh, my God. And, and lay people have no idea that this is what is going on. They, they're so trusting. Yes. There's a, I think tr trusting is a big part of it. And also there are flaws in logic, which are really simple once they're laid out. But I, I see in my own thinking how I was getting sucked into this faulty logic. And, and ultimately what it comes down to is people see epidemiology, which is patterns of illness in a population. And then they'll come to a conclusion about why that pattern occurs when in reality they're separate exercises. Yes, we want to see patterns of illness, but if we want to determine why that pattern of illness exists, that's a separate exercise. So an example that many people have used in this space is to say, if you see firefighters at the scene of a fire, some might conclude that the firefighters caused the fire erroneously. Or they could say, well, the fire clearly has a mystical ability and it creates firefighters out of thin air. And that's why the firefighters exist in the scene. Right. 
there are many possibilities to explain patterns of phenomena. And what happens is I, our society gets sucked into one theme typically, which is while people were, in, were sick, people were in the same place at the same time and many of them got sick. Therefore, there was a virus. Therefore, there was a bacterium that then they caught it. There's something they caught. And I would say that is one terrific hypothesis. Let's test it. And I don't think it's been tested well enough. And what else could be going on? Was there a similar toxic exposure that people could have been exposed to that caused similar symptoms? That would be something other than a microbe, a virus or a bacterium or a fungus or something. So these are there are many other possibilities that often go untested. And part of that might be because of our traditional thinking, but also there's a big financial incentive to want to fight a microbe and all the medications that come with it in the multi-billion and who knows how big dollar industries to try to fight this one believed cause. I hate to think that that's an issue, but that certainly is an issue. The financial aspect of all of it is probably a huge issue. Yeah, I mean, I just think about it from my own business perspective. Uh, that That's my background. I worked in Silicon Valley. I worked in investment banking. And companies exist by generating profits. And so there is just a natural incentive to want to, to have a problem in the world that a company can be the solution for. And so the pharmaceutical industry has lots of incentives that might not always be aligned with the absolute truth, let's say, or might not always be aligned with the interests of the general public. What, what bothers me is that this seems to be always the case. When, when, when we look at COVID, this most recent, and this is the, something which I, maybe you go into COVID later in your book, but, you know, we li- just lived through it and they were looking for the, this vaccine. And certainly the vaccine that, that we took, which was, you know, right away, you have to get in there, you have to get your, the vaccine. The vaccine didn't prevent it. And, and it didn't prevent people from spreading it. It didn't you, keep you from catching it. Didn't keep you from, from spreading it. So it was basically useless. Everybody rushed to get something stuck in your arm, but it was useless. Mm-hmm. Cause you know, then it turned out that it had this ghastly side effect. If you happen to be a healthy young male, that was going to kill you. And 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 apparently they discovered that after the fact, and yet nobody told anybody that that was. Whoops! We have this side effect. We're not going to tell anybody about. Except it was pretty obvious to the public when we noticed all these young men were dying of it. Yes. So like you said, Roberta, there's a trusting element of the population that we think the authorities are giving us the best information for us. When in reality, it seems there are there are many things that we're not told about, but the research is out there for people who want to dig. And that's what's motivated me in this journey. Uh, but also with regard to vaccines, more generally, there is a presumption that they're fighting against a microbe that is causing illness. And that's one of the things I'm questioning in the book, drawing on the work of many doctors. So Again, this is a journalistic book. I'm not claiming to be the doctor here, but there are many doctors who are saying this as well, that um, the debate is also known as germ theory versus terrain theory. So germ theory is that there exist these microscopic organisms and they cause illness in people. 
and can even make people sick, uh, even kill people. Whereas the terrain theory says that what matters is the, in the same way that a plant will grow based on the terrain of the soil, the, the terrain of our body is determining whether we are healthy or not. And actually germs such as bacteria are helpful in the body. They break down dead and dying tissue. So the terrain model would say that if you have a, what we call an infection of a certain bacteria, that is the infection is there because of an underlying toxicity in the body and the bacteria are trying to help to decompose it. And in the process, you might be sick, but the bacteria aren't the direct cause. There's something underlying it that's deeper. And with regard to, so, the, so bacteria are one type of microbe and, and the terrain model would also say that fungi and parasites, they can show up when a person has toxicity, but they're actually cleaning up the toxicity. So that's a, it's a, it's a paradigm shift. Then with regard to viruses as another type of microbe, and I'm, I'm saying this to get back to your question about COVID, that's a separate issue, which I didn't, I didn't realize until I researched this in more depth that the, the term virus initially meant a slimy poison in Greek. So it had this definition as being a poisonous substance really until the mid 1900s. With the advent of genetics, this was in 1953, Watson and Crick's double helix structure of DNA model, combined with other work on what's known as a bacteriophage, which is a particle that is believed by some to infect bacteria like a virus. There was a new model for something that scientists couldn't understand about why people were getting sick. They said, well, maybe we have this parasitic genetic thing, which we now know as, know as a virus, which is a protein encased particle that has genetic material gets out of, inside of a host cell replicates and then causes symptoms in the host that's a very specific definition of a virus that's not what it was before and the, the shocking reality that i walk through in the book is that particle that is believed to exist in a very specific way that i just described has not been shown directly to exist in that way it's always an indirect metric so some, I can imagine your audience saying, well, we've seen pictures of it clearly. And the contrarians will say, yes, you've seen pictures under an electron microscope, which was only invented in the 1930s and has become more mainstream recently. But that is showing a static image. It's not showing something moving in its natural habitat. It's actually showing dead material that's been chopped up and there's resin on it. And there's a, a static image. That's problematic because if you want to prove that a virus exists in this way that I described, you need to see it entering the cell, going out of the cell, going from cell to cell, replicating all those steps. The second thing I would say, and this gets into material that I realize many doctors are not familiar with, which is the methodology that virologists claim to use or, or use to claim that they have found just a viral particle. And typically, th this comes from 1954. The classic study is known as the Enders and Peebles study. Enders actually won a Nobel Prize for something separate that year. So he was a very prominent person. And I'm just going to simplify this uh, drastically. <laughs> they take fluids from a person who's sick, and they put it into a soup of cellular material. And that soup, it's, it's called a cell culture. That soup has antibiotics, monkey kidney cells, all sorts of toxic stuff. And they take fluids from a sick person, put it into that soup, and they find that sometimes the cells break down in that soup. And they conclude, well, there must have been a virus in the cell, in the fluids from a sick person that we just put in there. 
The problem, logically, is that there are many other explanations for why cells could break down. There could have been other material from the human, the sick person, that was not viral that caused the cells to break down. Or maybe there was something in the soup itself that was toxic, like antibiotics and other things. And there have been some studies recently to say, well, you don't even have to add anything into the cellular, into the soup, and cells break down. Right. So I know this is getting into the weeds, but the, this is critical because it's because of the results of these studies that people say, wow, a virus exists. And it's because of that, then we get, go to vaccines and so forth. So what I'm really asking people to do, and, and even myself, is to say, let's look back at the foundational studies and our assumptions and see if our conclusions actually warrant the measures we're seeing all over the world. Right. Yeah, let's go back to basics and figure it out. Right. Right. And basics, Roberta, would be in a study, you need an independent variable, meaning you need something you're going to you're going to introduce into the study, meaning in this case, introduce just a virus, not a whole bunch of other stuff in the person's fluids, just a virus and see what that does. And also basic scientific method, run control studies, meaning run the study without introducing the fluids from a sick person. For example, these are basic things, and it seems that there's some sloppiness of the science that I'm trying to highlight in the book. Oh, there's so much sloppiness in science. They they really are winging it in so many ways. Yeah. Oh, my dear. But I'm just shocked when you look back at what they have done, with, and so many people have died unnecessarily. Mm-hmm. Right. It's because of a horrified looking at the past. (laughs) It is. It's horrifying. But it's on some level, we could look at it as part of our evolutionary journey to learn the truth. And we've been in a state of ignorance where we're we're treating things improperly because we're not properly understanding the body and we're not understanding how it's functioning. We see a symptom and we say, well, let's just eradicate the symptom. Let's get the person better. But what I would ask is, is it are we solving the root cause of the disease just by eradicating the symptom? In many cases, I would say no. And a large part of our pharmaceutical industry is just on, is based on getting rid of the symptoms, getting you back to work, rather than looking at the underlying mechanism for why someone is sick. And that could be environmental, but also I think there's a big element of consciousness. I love it that you're, you're so infatuated with consciousness. Ever, ever since you first discovered consciousness, it really, but seriously, when 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 you when I first met you, clearly you were infatuated with what you had found, and it it was beautiful to see. I I loved seeing that. It was it was like seeing a man in love. It was. Like, <laughs> Yes, it was so because I was a hardcore materialist. I thought life was random and meaningless and to realize there there's evidence there's more. That was mind blowing. But but even applying it to this field of medicine, I'm getting ahead of myself a little bit, but I think it's relevant here. Take the case of Anita Morjani. She had a near death experience. She was in a state of terminal cancer in a coma. And she had a realization in her consciousness during the near-death experience state where she realized that she was caring too much about what people thought about her. She encountered her deceased father and shifted her perspective. And when she came back, her cancer disappeared. The tumors went away. So these are the sorts of things that, you know, a consciousness shift could change physical mechanisms in the body. That's not really something we hear about as much in mainstream medicine. Instead, we're focused on trying to kill microbes very often. And that's the part of this paradigm shift is really think thinking not just in terms of the physical, but also in terms of the more abstract, the consciousness, the metaphysical. Well, Jesus said, 
if you have as much faith as a mustard seed. You know how small a mustard seed is? Mm -hmm. It's tiny, tiny. You can say to this mountain, move yourself and throw yourself into the sea and the mountain will obey you. That's mm -hmm. how powerful consciousness is. That's how powerful your mind is. Yeah, that, exactly. that's, a, that's a great seer telling you that. That's true. That's how powerful your mind is. And let's think about what we've experienced over the last few years. The mind is that powerful, and we've been fed a message of fear. That's right. That's exactly so what, right. What a powerful, powerful point you're making right now. And all religions have at their base what? They all have the same powerful negativity, fear. Yes. Fear. And that's yes. what we experience. So one has to wonder how much of what we experienced over the last several years was psycho-spiritual. Mm-hmm. And if people are living in terror, can they manifest symptoms on their own? That's right. This is the sort of thing we're not being, we don't hear that on the news. No, because the, um, the, the, the news, um, the people who run the news, the people who run science, the people who run uh, our religions, all those people have the same um, basic misunderstanding of what reality is. Exactly, exactly. So that's well, the way I structured the book is the first part of it is about is more from the materialistic perspective of with even within the realm of just the material. I think medicine's getting it wrong. But the second part of the book is introducing consciousness. And that really blows the whole thing apart, which my hope is it will it will give people a sense of hope to realize that their own health is much more in their in their hands rather than thinking the authorities know all the answers that we have the solutions within us. We can choose our dietary habits, we can choose our mindset, we can try to live a healthy life, rather than saying the only solution is what they tell us on the news or what the politicians tell us. Well, what can people do now? Because it's going to be a while before we get to the point where we can take that kind of control. In order mm -hmm. to get to the point, and what we'll talk about the next time that you're, you're with us, is how we can begin to take that control. But before we get there, what can we do now? Because this is horrifying. Um, the first half of your book has, has some horrifying news about how the, the medical community really knows nothing. They, they can't, don't even know what a virus is or if they exist. Is that true? <laughs> they really don't know if there is such a thing as a virus, and yet they've got all this horrible caustic and 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 poisonous chemicals to go after viruses right well the way i would i would phrase it is that using the scientific method a virus as defined as a protein encased genetic material that gets inside of a host cell and replicates and then leaves that cell and goes to other ones to make people sick that definition I and you're telling yes, me that that doesn't does it that exist? has not, I would say, has not been established using the scientific method. And in fact, a woman named Christine Massey has been working with her colleagues to submit freedom of information requests to over 200 organizations in 40 countries around the world, including the CDC, and asking very specifically, have you isolated just this viral particle as I've defined it? And the answer is they don't have any records for it. Because they say, well, that's not the method we use. We don't actually isolate a virus on its own. 
So that's problematic because then all of the metrics to find this alleged virus are indirect. It might be a PCR test because they say we found this genetic fragment. Well, if we haven't found a virus first, how do we know the genetic fragment comes from the virus? Or if there's an antibody test or an antigen test, how do we know it's associated with the virus and not something else? These are the questions that I think are not well answered. Or answered at all, you're telling me, really. Not answered. Not answered at all. So we don't even know if there's such a thing as a virus. Yeah, regrettably, I would say that that's true, that it hasn't been established. I mean, a, a negative can't be proven. We can't, I can't say there is nothing for sure, but I would say that it has not been established yet. And we've had a long time to try to look for these things. So it's not encouraging. And, and the answer would then be, Roberta, to this. It's, it's not that people, I'm not saying people don't get sick. Yes, people get sick. Yes, people can die from illness. It's just why. What, what, what is this thing that has had me in bed for a week? Right. Why? What is it? I don't know. <laughs> so what, what I, I would ask is, what, what's your state of mind been? Is there, um, there's, there's a field that we can talk about more next time called German new medicine. And under that philosophy, when a person is having symptoms, that's an, an indication that the person is healing, actually. So there was a con- an emotional conflict that has been resolved. So I would say, have you resolved any emotional conflicts? What's nutrition been like? How much stress my, my have you been under? My family has had this same nuisance bug. And I thought I was going to escape it because the other three people I live with, and I kept saying, neener, neener, I don't have uh-huh. it. And um, <laughs> and finally, eventually, I came down with the same thing they had. And, my, you know, you could have fooled me. I was sure it was a, vi- a virus. It was a thing that I finally caught that they had. Right. So you you all exhibited similar symptoms. The question is, what were you similarly exposed to? And it could also be on an energetic level. If we get to consciousness and, and resonance, uh, there might be energies that are between people that mimic what we would call a germ-based contagion, but it's actually energetic. So the, the point here is really one of critical thinking, that there are many possibilities other than a bug. I just don't understand because it certainly seems as if we all had the same disease. I haven't had a cold as I say, for more than 20 years. But I, right. I just thought I finally got their cold. But if, the, if there's no such thing as a virus, you could have fooled me. <laughs> My goodness. And I know I'm just naturally, as they say, if you if you fight a cold, it get, you get over it in seven days. Otherwise, it hangs around for a week. It's just, <laughs> I don't, I just don't know, Mark. I don't. I don't understand how we still don't know if there's such a thing as a virus. <laughs> it's amazing this is to amazing me. Amazing to me what you're talking about. Yes, and for years, like going back to the history, Louis Pasteur, who's one of the fathers of germ theory, with rabies, um, he was unable to find a microbe. So he said, "Well, there must be something smaller than what we can see because there wasn't an electron microscope scope at the time. It, we're going to call it a virus." So there has been a mystery for a long time of trying to understand illness and saying, "Well, maybe we just can't see it." And I, the, the sad reality is, I don't think we're in a good place right now either. It's fortuitous that I've got a cold at the moment because then I can I can illustrate there's something that's doing this to me, and there yes. was nothing weird about this particular time in my life. Nothing. Very strange. But um, I am getting over it, though. But I I just don't get it. But you're, but you're saying it's mind over matter, essentially. Uh, my, where I land right now is that 
Ultimately, that's true. If we can get our consciousness in the right place, we can probably overcome most things. But there is a physical aspect too. So if someone is poisoned with arsenic or mercury, for example, in large doses, the body is physical and can only tolerate so much. So I, there is a balance here. Or if someone is eating horribly in terms of nutrition, that can't be good for the system. So it is the, there's the consciousness aspect, but also the physical too. But the good news is if there's no such thing as a virus, if it is mind over matter, we should be able to overcome it more easily. Yeah, exactly. We'll and about I, that next time. And I think it, this, this gets into very basic spiritual principles of what are our beliefs? What kinds of resentments are we still holding or guilt? And really examining our internal state to get to the strongest psychological place we can be in. And then I think from there, more positive choices in the physical realm result. I can't wait to read the rest of your book because this really had the, the me on the edge of my the edge of my bed <laughs> rather than chair. But no, it really was quite a wonderful read. And I I just was was too ill to really appreciate it as much as I wish I could have. But I I uh my husband though is quite jaundiced about the medical community. That's one reason he retired early. He, he thought medicine was basically an awful profession to be practicing. He, mm. he thought uh, friends of his who were in medicine, he retired quite young. And uh, he said, they said, you were lucky to escape. They said to him, a lot of doctors really can't stand the profession. Yes, I have heard that quite a bit. And it's unfortunate because I do, like I said earlier, I think the intention for most people entering the profession is very positive. They want to help people, but the system itself is flawed. And I would argue the assumptions that the system is based on, that's where the real problems are. So they're treating conditions based on assumptions from the textbooks. And I would argue they've been, they've been led astray. They have been led astray. Yeah. I feel bad for young doctors. Yeah. For the people that they're treating. What, I mean, What's really going on with these injections? Why aren't they telling people that they are poison? Well, in the book, I have a full chapter on vaccines, not just with regard to COVID, but also with regard to the childhood schedule, for example. And there does seem to be a suppression of, of information. Most people, if you ask them, what is what is in the fluid that's being injected? I would say most people don't know the answer to that. And then if you ask the second question is, well, how um, are those ingredients safe? <laughs> or in the third question, how how are those injections being tested in terms of safety? Are they being tested on a long-term basis? Are they testing vaccinated groups versus unvaccinated groups over the course of their lifetime and seeing which group is healthier? Not just in terms of the illness that they're being vaccinated against, but which group has more cancer? Which group has more infertility? Which group has more heart disease? Go down the list. Those sorts of things are, are not talked about when we're presented with the medication. And so I think transparency is a huge issue here. Myocarditis is a real problem in young men now and in, in young men who have been vaccinated against COVID. And they're not telling people that's why so many young men are dying of myocarditis. Um, we, we, we decided, my husband and I, and we're not young by any means, not to get any more um, COVID vaccines just for that reason. Mm-hmm. Um, this is a this is a this is a scandal, and it's going to be called a scandal 
of historic proportions. I, I didn't realize the problem, it was a problem with children's vaccinations too, but it may well be. There also is a um, a problem with young men and um, um, reduced um, potency. And um, I mean, I don't know how much of that is related to vaccines that they got when they were children. I just don't know. But yeah. <laughs> yeah, these are the questions that I think need to be asked. But there's, of course, a large incentive from huge industries not to want to look at these issues. So that's got to be a part of it, too, is that there's so much money to be made from these medications that if it were discovered that there there's a lot more harm than we're told, um, a lot of money would be lost. Speaking to young lawyers, there's a lot of money to be made. And um, I would start doing the research now because some young lawyers are going to become very rich, just like the young lawyers who ought to start doing research uh, into uh, filing lawsuits uh, in the in the the transgender tr- um, field. Yes, huge, huge lawsuits. I would That's start right. ready to file those lawsuits now. And we just have to hope that the court systems are fair. And that's something I saw in my professional life that it's not always the case because the what we call the rule of law is based on the interpretation of words, and therefore a human being's subjectivity is involved in it, and and human beings can be swayed by political interests and lobbying. So I think we're, we're going to learn a lot about our legal system as there's more and more fallout. Yes, but sooner or later, um, it'll, it'll become pathetic enough. There will be enough children whose lives were destroyed by the transgender movement that um, suddenly there will be a lot of money made by a few lawyers. Mm-hmm. I am certain of that. Yes. But anyway, um, I look forward to seeing that happen, I have to say, because I was a child who uh, would have given anything to be a man until I hit puberty. Mm-hmm. And then I was forgotten, and I was very glad to be a girl. But until then, I beat up every single boy. Here's a, here's a, here's a, uh, a newsflash. I beat up every boy in my third grade class. <laughs> And glad to do it. But then when I became, when I hit puberty, I was forgotten. I was very happy to be a girl. And there are probably a lot of girls who have that same kind of history because there's a lot of gender. And the reason is simple because they were boys in previous lifetimes. Mm. We are coming to the end of our time. What do you want people to take from our conversation today? Well, I, I think some of this news can be jarring, shocking, scary. But the ultimate message is that we have much more control over our health than we're being told. And once we start to dive into what that means, we can take control of our mind and the things that we put into our body and the things we expose ourselves to, to reach a much greater level of health. So ultimately, I think it's empowering. You think it's empowering? I just thought it was scary to read that (laughs) book because you, when my doctor says you need to take the shot, how do you say no to your doctor? Mm-hmm. So you have to trust somebody. So you're saying you really shouldn't trust the guy with the needle in the hand? What I think is that we have to do our own research and then acknowledge that some people know more than us, but maybe ask questions. Say, how do you know this to be true, that this is safe? What is the research, what does the research show? And we have to 
we have to be our own doctors to some degree, even with regard to the vaccines. We were asked to make decisions ourselves and we're not everyone's a doctor. So we're always asked to make medical decisions. And so it's a combination of learning who to trust by doing our own research and then having to trust our own intuition and look look at things on our own. So it's, it is okay to, add, to say to your doctor, wait a minute, before you stick that needle in my arm, I'm not sure. I'd like to know more. <laughs> yeah. I think that's a, a prudent thing to do. I don't know how every doctor would take that though, because there is a there's a stigma around asking questions with vaccines in particular, but really any medication where the doctor is often the authority figure that is supposed to know. So hopefully if you Especially if, when they get that thing around their necks, you know, that's yeah. supposed to say they know everything. Yeah. And when they have a bit, they have a busy schedule and they're, they just need to take care of one patient after the next to have to spend a long time explaining how safety studies were done. For example, that's maybe not what they want to do. Yeah. But I know from now on, after reading your book, I'm certainly not going to take any more shots from doctors. I'm going to, I'm going to ask questions. I'm going to say, let me think about it. I really think that that's what I'm going to do from now on. Um, no, I think that book is powerful and, uh, and I'm going to have you back as soon as I can find a spot and we'll talk about consciousness in relation to our health. I think that's very, very powerful. Yes. Big hug, my dear. I thought your book was wonderful. Terrific. And it scared the daylights. (laughs) (laughs) I'm giving you a big hug back and I hope that you recover fully from your symptoms very soon. Yeah, I think ultimately the best the best doctor we have is our own bodies. And I that's that's to me that's very reassuring. Yes. Agreed. So Mark, this was wonderful. Thank you so much. And everyone, um I'm I ultimately we are I guess our own best doctors, but Mark Gober, wonderful, wonderful friend. And once again my my dear friends, this has been Seek Reality with Roberta Grimes. So, by the way, Mark Gober, his website is just what you would expect, markgober.com. This has been Seek Reality with Roberta Grimes. I'm so happy you could be with us today. And I'm so glad that my voice held out because Mark really helped. Please never forget, you are a powerful, eternal being. You never begin, you never will end. And when you get that, and all its implications, it really changes everything in your life for the better. Next week, our guest will be Mark Ireland. He'll be here for the second time in 10 years. He hasn't been here for a long time. He's a, he's a, a student. Oh, there goes my voice. Um, he's a student of the evidence for death in the afterlife. And we hadn't talked for a long time. I came across his name. I said, whatever happened to him? And looked him up. And he's doing a lot of evidence research still. So I asked him to come back and tell us what's new. And I think you're going to be interested in hearing from him. So we're going to catch up next week. And this week, of course, our guest has been Mark Gober. He is such an interesting guy. He keeps coming across new areas where he can shock us. His latest book, An End to Upside Down Medicine, shocked the dickens out of me, but everything he has written, every single book that Mark Gober has written has been shocking and wonderful to read, and I recommend every single one of them. Every one of them has been a winner. They're all easy.
easy to read. They're all fun to read, actually, and they're all full of the truth. So I recommend them all. And now, of course, it's time once again to mention that Seek Reality Online is your one-star resource for all things afterlife. Just go there, learn the truth from your own dear friend, Craig Hogan, who is the president of Seek Reality Online, and he's your worldwide expert on all things afterlife. Teachingsbyjesus.com is your one-stop resource for all the beautiful divine truths that are brought to us in perfect love by the greatest teacher of all, Master Jesus. Now it really is Jesus' turn. As the religion that was created by the Roman Emperor Constantine and not by Jesus finally dies, the genuine teachings of Jesus can at last come alive for us all. And there is stuff going on there, so check it out teachingsbyjesus.com. As you know, well, I think you know what all my books are by now, so I don't have to recite them again. But if you want to talk uh, talk about any of my books or talk about anything at all with me, just go to the green contact block on robertagrimes.com and send me an email. I answer all my emails, but it can take a while because I get so many. Just be sure to give me your correct email address because if if your email bounces, if my email to you bounces after I've sent you an email, it makes me sad because that means that you won't hear from me and you'll think I didn't write back, but I did. And of all, all of the more than 500 past episodes of Seek Reality are available wherever audio podcasts can be found. And you can listen to new audio episodes each week with the Seek Reality app that you can find wherever free apps are available. You can see new video episodes each week on Roku or Fire Stick, YouTube, and elsewhere. And meanwhile, this has been Seek Reality with Roberta Grimes. Please enjoy and make the most of this week wherever you are, and know most of all that you are a powerful, eternal being, and you most of all in this entire world, and in this whole universe, you are infinitely, eternally, and perfectly loved. You've been listening to Seek Reality with Roberta Grimes. Roberta blogs and answers questions at robertagrimes.com. Join us every week as we explore what the afterlife evidence and modern science combine to tell us is true about the one reality we all share. Knowing the truth changes everything.